excited to preach the first message of 2018. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'm excited, and I believe that you're going to be encouraged and blessed today. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue. We've been talking about grace, grace for days. And this message is a really good uh, foundation, uh, an imprint, a stirring, a reminder of who we are as a church family and what we're created to do. And so this is going to be another year of increase, of fruitfulness, of growth as a church. Uh, we're going to be launching some new home groups, revival groups, and there's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening. And so let's just prepare for that. But I want to I want to read from Luke chapter 15. Who has your Bible? Come on, raise your Bible up if you have your Bible. If you're old school, if you don't have a Bible, then you probably have a tablet or phone. Hold your phone or tablet up. Come on, somebody. If you don't have any of those, raise your hand and let everyone stare at you right now because you're not a Christian. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 15, um, I, I love this portion of scripture. We're going to be just reading the, the beginning of the chapter, and uh, we're going to be looking at three parables, uh, which were Jesus's response to the mumblings of the religious elite. And, uh, and they express to us the very heart of God, and we're going to be blessed by them. Are you all ready? How many love the scripture? Come on. <clears throat> Four of you do. Praise God. Maybe the rest of you will get saved by the end of the sermon. Can I have my water, sweetheart? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the first lady, Glory. <clears throat> if you have some water, go ahead and take a drink. Praise God. How many enjoyed that worship, man? That was awesome. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to be reading from uh, the New International Version. Are you ready? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's my Pharisee voice. Back to verse 1. In the Amplified Version, it says they, were, uh, they drew near to hear what Jesus had to say. I love this verse. And before Jesus responds in these three parables, and we're going to look at four things, uh, four basically parallels in, the, in these parables, four things that, that uh, are mentioned in all three of these parables, I want to just camp out on these two verses for a minute. And I want us to just think about the reality that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, how many know that uh, if your heart is open to something, then, um, then you're going to be gravitated towards something, that thing, or that thing will be gravitated towards you. You know, in Christianity, we have a lot of messages on like taking our thoughts captive, but I believe that we need to uh, really capture the reality that the center of our being is not our mind, it's our heart. And this is what the scripture teaches. And the Bible is written in a, world, a Hebrew worldview, not a Greek worldview. And so we have to understand the heart is the center of the being. So if, if uh, the center of our being. So if we want to take our thoughts captive, then we should orient our hearts and let our hearts be captivated. Because our mind follows our heart. Now Jesus is speaking to people and he's dealing with heart issues. But I want you to understand that whatever your heart is open to, how many know that the sinners... And the tax collectors felt like they could approach Jesus. I'm going to tell you why. Because his heart was open to them. If you find yourself surrounded by certain people, it's because your heart is open to them. 
If you're surrounded by gossipers, it's because your heart is open to gossip. I knew I wouldn't get any amens on that, but I felt like I should say it anyways. Whatever your heart is open to, your eyes gravitate to. Whatever your heart is open to, your life will flow in that direction. Come on, somebody. And let us remember that if we, we want to uh, reach the lost, that our heart has to be open to broken people. Jesus was a friend of sinners. They did not feel intimidated by him. They did not feel like they weren't good enough. And so they couldn't come to him when he taught, but they were drawn to him. And they gathered around to hear the Son of God, God incarnate, deliver truth as he spoke. I mean, can you imagine God incarnate coming and all the sinful people, all the people that don't go to church, all the people that weren't good enough in society, come on, they felt drawn to Jesus, the Son of God, because his heart was open to them. Now it says the Pharisees uh, and teachers of the law muttered, modern day paraphrase, the pastors and church leaders muttered, or uh, the deacons, come on somebody, how many know that we, like, you know, we, we have this thing like, oh, we got to pray for the harvest. Let's pray for the harvest. I believe it's good to, like, have our hearts set on the harvest. But Jesus never said to pray for the harvest. He said to pray for laborers. What if the revival we're waiting for is a matter of opening our hearts to broken people? What if the revival we've been fasting for, if we just feast on the love of God instead of fast? And we begin to love people, it opens up the valve to supernatural life flowing into the broken and dark world that we exist in. God wants us to have open hearts to sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, it doesn't mean that we affirm everything that a sinner does. Amen? How many know we're called to love and accept people, but that doesn't mean we affirm them? Like, we don't call them to stay in their mud. We call them to the waters of baptism to receive forgiveness and cleansing. Like, we don't, we don't preach a message that says, well, just come as you are, and you can stay in your sexual sin and your gender orientation confusion, and you can just do whatever you want to do. How many know God sets our hearts on fire with his love and something transforms and we realize the thing that we've been messing with is actually designed to hurt and kill us and God wakes us up and says, that's not who you are, you're a son. That's the message of the gospel. So it's total acceptance but not total affirmation. I'm preaching way better than you're responding, man. I wish y'all would get saved up in here. I'm just getting warmed up too, trust me. Trust me. I don't know what I'm doing right now. It's just I'm time killing right now. How many know that God wants us to love broken people, but when you love them where they are and for who they are right now, they become who they're created to be. And they, they listen, the burden of sin that they carry does not have to be theirs. The shackles of addiction does not have to be theirs. Come on. The drugs that they run to, they, they realize that there's something more addictive and sweet. It's the love of Jesus Christ. Come on. There's something that when we find the message of truth, it is a message of freedom. It's love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But we don't remain the same. We are changed. 
by the good news. And Jesus was loving broken people. But how many know they were transformed? You see the story over and over and over, all the stories in the Gospels. So now let's look at the, the parables in his response to the muttering of the religious elite. He gives three parables. I'm going to read through two of them, and I'm going to talk about the third one. And then we're going to look at four things uh, that I see in these parables that will help set our hearts ablaze this year for what God has called us to do as we increase, multiply, and make disciples. Amen. The first one, verse 3, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The next parable is the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then the third one is one that most of us are familiar with. It's a parable of the two sons and the father. Verses 11 through 32, most of you know the story where the, one of the sons comes to his, the younger of the two comes to his, son, his, his dad and says, I want all my inheritance. And then he goes and he just blows his inheritance on prodigal living. Uh, and then he comes to his senses and he realizes that he's living worse than how his father's servants lived. And he came home. And he came home not only to a father uh, that forgave him with open arms, but a father who pursued to meet him as he entered the town, who was waiting for him to come home and looking on the horizon. So we have these three parables that Jesus is addressing the religious elite in response to their murmuring about how Jesus is eating with sinners and welcoming to sinful people. Four things that I see and we're going to talk about in these parables. The first one is, say this with me, say lost. lost. Now, this would be a perfect time to, you know, reel in a little scene from this Lost series. Who watched Lost? How many got lost in like season four? And you're like, what is happening? Are they stuck in some weird like alien like island or is this like some sort of in between heaven and hell? Lord Jesus, I didn't, I didn't like the way the show went. So say lost with me. Lost. Now, lost is kind of a weird word. Have you ever looked at words and you're like, that's a weird word? Lost. L-O-S-T. Lost. I don't know why I said that, but it's just a weird word. Now, I want to, I want to share this with you, okay? In every one of these parables... First thing, something was lost. Now, when we say that, we think, oh, man, oh, all the people, oh, he's lost. 
Yeah, he's deceived and he's lost. And we say it in such a negative way, not a heartfelt way that we, we want to see them free and we want to see them found, but we're, we're, it's like we're so negative, like, oh, they're lost. Oh, yeah, they're out there. They're lost. But how many know if you're lost, it means that one belongs somewhere? If you've lost something, that means that it belongs to you. Amen? And it's the same understanding in every one of these parables. Something was lost, but guess what it means? It means, go ahead and put that slide up there. It means that it belongs somewhere. And so one belongs, and, and so the, the understanding of lost is this. Listen, you belong before you believe. This is a really hard concept for our religious minds because we think someone only belongs unless they pray a magical prayer. Now, I'm going to mess with your evangelical, charismatic brain or whatever your religious tradition background is. But you belonged to him even before 2,000 years ago when he died for you. You belong to him because you have breath and you exist and he created you and you belong to him. How many know you belong before you believe? You don't have to pray a magical prayer, and then all of a sudden, God's like, okay, I'll accept you, you good little boy. Thanks for praying that sinner's prayer that the church has only been doing for the last 150 years. You know, we, we've invented these methods, and we've invented these formulas to somehow get God to, you know, these prerequisites to get him to love us or accept us. I want to I share with you now, you belong before you believe. Matter of fact, your believing is because of your belonging. Because you're lost and because you belong to him, it opens up your heart to his love and you believe, you trust in him and you surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Come on, man. You know, we've got to get this ingrained in our hearts that the way that we minister to people that are broken, like don't think, oh, they're lost. Don't think they belong. Can you imagine if we opened our hearts and opened our tables and opened our homes to a place of you belong, not a place where you have to believe? It's a paradigm shift. Believing and turning our hearts, repentance and belief is, is a part of the Christian conversion. It, it always has been. But how many know it's the love of God and it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? Romans chapter 2, I believe verse 4. And so we belong before we believe. If you're lost, it means that one belongs. Number two, the other thing that I see is a parallel in all three of these parables is there was a search. How many have ever uh, lost something important to them? How many have ever, ladies, how many have ever lost like a, a, an engagement ring or a wedding ring? Has that ever happened? That's like, the ser that's serious business. How many have ever lost a child? Like in a public place and you're counting and there's one missing. It's the worst feeling in the entire world. <laughs> if you don't have a prayer life, that will change. You, like if you want fire on your prayer life, that will, that will literally shift your prayer life. One time we were at uh, Circus Circus at the little whatever that place is called with the roller coaster series and all that. And we're hanging out and Josiah just went missing. Josiah. And he, back then, he's, he still wanders and he kind of lags behind, you know, and he's in the, we're walking out as a family, and where's Josiah? And he's like 12 feet behind us, always. It's like there has to be this gap. And we didn't find him. And we're running around, and mom, fiery lioness mom, was like, 
Sarah, you go to the front. David, go around the other side. Honey, you go over here. And like, it was just like this direction to find her lost son came in. And sure enough, three minutes later, that three minutes felt like 12 hours. There he was playing with some swords. (laughs) Dad, look at this sword. Son, don't ever do that again. Hit him with the sword. (laughs) In our house, we do this thing as a family. Like we, we have a show that we watch and we sit down and we eat together. And so this is a serious thing. This is a ritual. It's just how we roll. And there are times where we're, we got it all ready to go, like dinner's hot, it's time to eat, and we want to turn the TV on to put our show on, and the remote control is missing. And then we just literally pause everything. And some of you have been to our house, you know, like Lara's probably know, all my kids know, there's like a major search and rescue mission for the remote control. And we put the dinner in the oven, keep it warm. Guys, let's go. And we turn over the couches, and we're looking, reaching in the cushions. There's crumbs in there. Ugh. And we're like, just reach a little further. I know it's gross, but, and we're looking everywhere for that remote control. Come on, because we need to watch our show. Listen, when, when there is a search for something, here's what it means. You can put up the next slide. It means that one has intrinsic value. I want to just meditate on this for a minute. I want you to say out loud, say value. That's why it's all caps, because the message of the gospel is that you are valuable. We see it in these three parables. Jesus is talking to the religious elite about why he's hanging out with sinners. How could you hang out with these worthless sinners? They don't keep the law. They are rebellious against God. God doesn't even hear their prayers. Oh, really? Well, isn't that an Old Testament verse? Yeah, but don't take it out of context. God doesn't hear the, the, the prayers of the broken that cry out to him in dark places? Did he hear your prayer when you were a sinner? Does he hear the sinner's prayer? Well, how, how could you hang out with these people, Jesus? Jesus, because they have value. They were lost. That means they belong. And I'm, I'm going to find him. The, the shepherd that would leave the 99 and find the one. The woman with 10 coins. She had 10. Just be happy with nine. But she had to find the one coin. Listen, you have intrinsic value to God. Do, do you have value to God because Jesus died on the cross for you? Or did you have value before Jesus died on the cross for you? Does the blood of Jesus make you valuable? Or does the blood of Jesus prove you're valuable? Let it settle in your heart. You're made in God's image. Every time you take a selfie, you better hashtag made in God's image. Because when he looks at you, he says, I made you with my very breath. Even Adam and Eve, after they fell, they didn't lose the image of God that they had. Sin had tarnished the image of God. But they're still made. The book of James says that we're made in the similitude of God. Humanity is made in the image of God. Humanity has intrinsic value to God. If humanity didn't have value in our sin, Romans 5.8 says, Yet while we were sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. You have value, intrinsic value. That's why he goes searching. That's why the Lord uh, relentlessly pursues us is because we have value to God. Number three, the third thing I find in, in all three of these parables is found. Say found. found. 
Being found is a gift. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like belonging. It's this understanding of, but here's what it is to me. It's like you're, you're seen. Have you ever felt invisible? Do you feel invisible right now? Like there, it, you know, one of, one, of our, uh, one of our core values as a church is we want every single one of you to feel significant. The person in the back row that likes to slip out early and and they don't want to get involved or maybe they feel like ashamed to even come to church or maybe they don't feel like they have a gift to bring. They don't sing. They don't do what other people do in church. They don't preach. Listen, you're significant. You don't have to have any gift because you're a gift. You're a son and a daughter of the living God and you are a significant part of the body. And the Bible says that we're to honor the members that don't seem to be that significant. How many know big toes are significant? You can't walk without a big toe. Come on, somebody. You ever broke your big toe? First time I, that happened to me, and I realized I can't walk without my big toe. This part of my body that doesn't seem very significant. Listen, you are significant. And so there's something about being found, being seen. I remember as a young leader not being found, not being seen, not being noticed. And then a man came in my life, a father who came in my life, and he found me. It takes a loving father, a loving mother, or a brother or sister with, with eyes of love to find you. And there's something about being fine, knowing that we have value to God and that he finds us. What does it mean to be found? It means that one was relentlessly pursued by a loving God. Come on. Number four, the fourth thing that I see in these, in these uh, parables is, come on, say it out loud with me, come on, a party. Who likes to party? Come on, somebody. Who's partying last night? You feel convicted right now, you're in church. No, I'm just playing. Party in the house. Every one of these parables ends with a party. It, it, listen, we need to get the joy back in the church. Every time we come to church, it's like, if I don't cry, I feel like I haven't gone to church. All the sisters, we got tissue all over the place. My mascara, how was church? What do you think? Look at my mascara. Like that's how we roll, right? Either that, either Miss Rochelle comes up and prays some magical prayer and all the, oh my gosh, she's so sweet and full of the love of God. And y'all haven't mastered the cry face like I have. I can cry without making that ugly face that you do. It's an anointing. I'll pray for you. You you might be able to receive it if you posture your heart humbly. How many know that, like, we don't go to church unless we're sad and we're crying, and that's good. It's good. Like, we encounter God's love. Sometimes we laugh, cry, but we should understand that when we come together on Sundays, it's a celebration of life together, that we're free, that I once was blind, but now I see. Come on. I once thought I didn't have any value, but now I know I'm loved by God. I once carried a burden of sin and I didn't know who I was, but now I know I'm a son and I know I don't have to hold on to this bondage. It's a celebration of life. It's a party. It's a party that never stops. Come on, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. Let's just stop right there. Speaking of stopping, this is a, this is a party of a house of honor. A house of celebration. What do we celebrate? We celebrate who we are. That we love. We, we, see, we actually see one another and we celebrate and receive one another for who we are. It also means that as a church and as people, as families, we are a refuge and a home to the broken. Come on. Say that with me. Say a refuge and a home to the broken. 
You ever been invited to somebody's house and you just feel like every piece of furniture is the formal living room? And I haven't experienced this in a long time, so if you've invited me over, don't think this is, I'm talking about you. But I remember years ago going to somebody's house and it's like, you you know, you're invited over and it's like, yeah, we're going to have dinner, but it's like, you can't do anything and it's awkward. Yeah. How many know what I'm talking about? That should be just, it should be the, when people come into our home in our church, they should feel at home. They should feel at rest. They should feel comfortable. They should, it should be easy for them to party with us. Come on. Psalm 68 verses five and six. If you could throw that up there real quick. This is so powerful. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Next verse. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Leave that verse up for just a minute. So God's like, this this is who God is. He takes the lonely and he puts them in families. Do you feel lonely? Look around the room. You're surrounded by a family of God that loves you. And wants to celebrate who you are. And wants to see you know your value as a son and a daughter. And he says, he leads us, uh, the prisoners out with singing. Come on, say singing. I believe the original Hebrew is singing. S-A-N-G. Because we don't just sing, we sang. Come on, somebody. So y'all need to learn how to sing. The worship leader's up here and they're like, come on, lift your voice and praise. Hallelujah. And you're like, I love you, Lord. Someone needs to just shout a hallelujah. Not even a hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a difference. Y'all need to learn the hallelujah. Anton, you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. And you, you, oh, you do one of those when you go back. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It says that he leads out the prisoners with singing. Why? Because they're not in prison anymore. It's a celebration, and God takes the lonely, and he puts them in families. That's the heart of God. Hallelujah. Why do we celebrate? Because we were lost, but now we're found. We're blind, but now we see. We thought we were worthless, and now we know we have value. We were once burdened by sin, and now we know we are forgiven and set free, and we don't have to live in the same mess that we came from. We once felt like an orphan, but now we know we have a home, and we know that we're sons and daughters. We once felt like we didn't belong, but now we know we're royalty. 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, come on, a holy nation his own special people, his treasure, the jewels of his crown, that we would proclaim the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, I want to just share with you quickly as we close uh, this beautiful thing that is woven into all three of these uh, parables that Jesus gave. You know, yesterday was Epiphany or also known or better known as theophany. Epiphany means a great revelation. Theophany is a revelation of God. Um, And what it was was on the church calendar, it's still celebrated to this day, one of the oldest feasts. And it celebrated, originally celebrated, the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. And at the baptism of Jesus, something very profound happened. It says that as he was baptized, a voice came from heaven the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, and a voice came from heaven, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the church has always celebrated this theophany, this revelation of God at the baptism of Jesus, 
Because now, for the first time in the New Testament, we see the revelation of God not as one solitary God, but as a relational being, three, yet one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it's befitting that I share this with you because as I was reading these three parables, I noticed something beautiful about all three of these. Let's look at the first one. The shepherd and the lost sheep. Who's the shepherd? Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. The first parable Jesus gives is, hey, there was a guy who had sheep and he left the 99 and went for the one. What does he exemplify? He's revealing to them the heart of the good shepherd, the heart of the son, his heart, Jesus. It also represents the church. It also represents, go ahead and put the next slide up. God's people pastoring, loving, and pursuing the lost. Let our hearts be branded with the love of God. Listen, I cannot pastor this church. That's such a great thing to say on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. Is he resigning? No, listen, I can't do it alone. There should be a pastor for every single row in this, every service we have. Come on, we had a 9 a.m. that was just as full as this. Every row should have a pastor or a leader. Being a pastor doesn't mean that you're going to pioneer a church. It means that you love people and you want to feed them. And you're like, hey, sis, I didn't see you at church. Are you doing okay? What's going on? Uh, man, I was in the hospital. I want to visit and pray for you. And, and you know, hey, do we, can we gather meals and help you? Can we shepherd you? That's what a pastor is. A pastor is somebody who loves. And you... To a degree, we all have the heart of the good shepherd to love people well. But some people are anointed to be a pastor. Some of you are going to lead groups this year at Encounter Church Las Vegas. We're launching groups. We're going to start with a group in my home. And then we're going to branch out and we're going to multiply it. And it's going to be a time of worship a time of teaching, a time to reflect on the message that we teach on Sunday, to go deeper, to dig in the scripture, a time of conversation, a time of theology, a time of, uh, you know, praying for one another and all that good stuff. And listen, we need to see that this is the heart, Jesus in all three of these parables, and it's, it's befitting that Theophany was yesterday celebrating the revelation of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three of these parables reveal God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the first one that he gives is the shepherd. It also represents uh, his people, pastoring, loving, pursuing. The second one, how many know the second one is the woman? Who's that represent? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a woman. The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given the attributes of a nurturing, comforting mother. Even Jesus said, I long to gather you as a hen would gather its chicks. He's revealing there's a nurturing heart uh, of the Holy Spirit. How many know he's the one who sticks closer than a brother? He's the one who comes alongside and loves and helps us. And there's this maternal aspect. And the woman with 10 coins, it also represents, put the next slide up, it represents the bride of Christ to the world. In the first century, when there, there was actually a necklace that was made that women would wear. It was made of 10 coins. And the coins were ascribed with the king's image on them. So the one lost coin as the bride of Christ resembles the people that are in the world that are still made in God's image. They've been ascribed with the image of the king. And we bring them back into the rest of the coins in the full. We bring them back because they belong to Jesus. Come on. 
Thirdly, isn't this beautiful? All three of these, these parables. The thirdly, oh, this is a real hard one. The Father. <laughs> the Father. Come on. The fount of the Trinity. The heart of the Father. I pray that this message brands our heart with a fresh love for us to step out, step beyond, to begin to open our heart to broken people and to see that we're created to release the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the other thing that it represents is God's children welcoming people home with open arms. Is your church community, by the way, if you don't have a church community, now you do. You're part of a movement that's gonna change the world. Hop on the bus, get on the train now. Get in early like a multi-level marketing company because then you'll be really cool later on. Be like, I was a part of Encounter Church when there was only like 350 members. Come on, somebody. Now it's 3,000. Oh, come on, somebody. If you don't have a church home, now you do. But is your church home? Because we, we are the ones, we are the ones that make a church feel like home. The pastor could be extremely loving, but if the people that are opening the doors, new faces, children's church, all the... Oh, hey, what's up? You know, if our hearts are not open and loving to people, how I many know they're not gonna feel at home? Hello? But we're called to love and for people to feel like they're coming home. Is our homes a home? Are our homes a refuge? When we start these revival groups, we're gonna start them in the homes. Sometimes they'll be held at different places, but there's something about gathering in a home. Acts chapter two says they met in the temple and they met house to house. We're launching into a new place as a church of multiplication. And it happens as we soak in these things and and just really rest in in the heart that God has for us. I want to encourage you, read Luke chapter 15, read all three parables and begin to write down things that the Lord shows you, things that you see in the heart of the shepherd, things that you see in the heart of the woman that's, that's trying to find her lost coin, things that you see in the father receiving his lost son home again. And let it brand your heart for where God is taking us as a body. Can you say amen? amen. Now I'm ready to dismiss you and it's 1236. Oh my gosh, I'm doing so good on time. I'm proud of myself. I just feel the father smiling at me right now. Glory. All those people that don't like long-winded preaching shout you down. Hallelujah. I want to I pray for you. And, uh, and we're going to have our prayer team come up in just a second. If prayer team actually can come up right now. Uh, if we could have all of our prayer team come up. Listen, we have relationship with our prayer team. They're anointed and they're people of character. And they're, they're, they're so willing, eager, and anticipating ministering to God's people every Sunday morning. And so if you need anything, if you need healing, freedom, if you want to receive Jesus, maybe you're in this place and you're like, you know, the Jesus that you're talking about and as you're reading through the scripture, sounds like the Jesus I want to know. Maybe you've had a bad taste of religion. Listen, you can surrender your heart to the love of God. You can be free from your sin. You can receive forgiveness and you can have a new life. And so our prayer team is here to do that with you. Uh, but, it, but if you don't need prayer, you want to be dismissed, we're going to dismiss you in just a moment. Uh, reminder to all the first-time visitors, please come back to the, 
the screen that says engage back there. I want to meet you personally if it's your first time. And uh, I've already, the Lord has already shown me all the first time visitors. So when I'm standing back there wa- watching you walk by, I'm going to look at you and be like, I'm going to tilt my head and be like, why aren't you stopping? This is a VIP. You're a VIP. Now we really wouldn't, would like you to come and just, just connect with us. We want to meet, meet you and hear your story. So let me pray for you. And then we're going to invite those that want prayer and dismiss those that want to be dismissed. Are you all ready? Do me a favor. Let's just lift our hands in a posture of receiving right now. And can we just for a moment thank God for his love. Thank God that we belong. We've been relentlessly pursued by a loving God. We've been found. And he celebrates life with us. It's an eternal celebration that we are in him and he is in us. So Father, I thank you right now for your people. I pray just for the love of God to just burn in every heart and in every life. And as a church, may we rise up and take on your heart for the world and open our hearts to people that sinners and those that are hurting and broken are never intimidated to come around us. And thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us the same, but you give us new life and you transform us by your love and grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Come on, can you just thank God for the word this morning? Thank you, Lord.